Now, I want to I begin this, this morning really by just telling you the story of Terry Anderson. And uh, some of you probably know the name Terry Anderson. You remember his story. He was, and here he is on the cover of Time Magazine, he was a reporter for the Associated Press who was kidnapped by terrorists in Beirut, Lebanon. And this was several years ago. This was in the, in the mid to late 80s. And, uh, and so he was held in, captive, in captivity for seven years. And uh, they held him in isolation. Uh, they, they held him in a, in a, in a prison cell. He, he suffered through sickness and isolation. He endured mental and physical abuse uh, by his guards. And so during that entire seven years, they gave him one book to read. And the book that they gave him was the Bible, interestingly enough. And he spent his his weeks and months and years devouring the word of God during, during the, that seven-year captivity. And he says that one of the verses that jumped off the pages, that, that just kind of leaped off the pages to him, was uh, the verse found in Matthew 5, 43 and 44, the verse that we're going to look at today, where Jesus says, You have heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, just imagine yourself, you're, you're being held captive, you're being mentally and physically abused by your captors, and you run across that verse. Could you imagine what was going through his mind? As he probably kind of thought to himself, who is Jesus, some kind of cosmic comedian here that I'm supposed to love my enemies? Are you kidding me? I mean, these guys have been abusing me. They, they've held me captive for 2,455 days, and I'm supposed to love my enemies. Well, in 1991, Terry Anderson was released. It was headline news all over the world. He was surrounded by a bevy of reporters as he was walking to his freedom, and they started just peppering him with questions. And they asked him questions like, what was it like to be held captive for that long? You know, what, what are your future plans? And then one reporter asked him a question that just stopped him dead in his tracks. And the question was this, have you forgiven your captors? And he said, I, he said, I just kind of stopped and froze right in time right there. And he said, he said, a line from the Lord's prayer went right through my mind. And it was the line, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And so then this victim of undeserved abuse spoke and said, yes, as a Christian, I'm required to forgive no matter how hard it might be. Now, the truth is this, it is hard, isn't it? And I think we all know that just by experience. Maybe not to that level, but it's hard nonetheless. But what we see Jesus saying in this passage today is that it's better to love an enemy. It's better to forgive an enemy than it is to harbor anger and animosity and hatred toward your enemy. Now, you could sit back and you could hear a story like Terry Anderson and you can say, well, Scott, you know, that's really great. I don't have an enemy like he had. Like no one's never ever held a gun to my head. No one's ever held me captive for, you know, whatever period of time. So I guess this really, this message of Jesus to love your enemies, well, that really doesn't apply to me. But what I would submit to you is this, that even though, you know, you know even right here in civilized central Indiana, right, uh, to one degree or another, all of us have some kind of adversary, some kind of enemy, 
some kind of foe in our life, who would that be for you? You know, it could be, it could be a coworker, somebody that you've worked with who is always working against you so that they could get the bonuses, so that they could get the promotions. They undermine you so that they, they can come out on top. It could be a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you know, that you've had a breakup with. It could be somebody at, cla- you know, at class or in school that's, that's always making fun of you and always making you look bad. You know, it could be a, a member of your family who, who has political differences with you and they just, you know, they just hate your guts. Who is it in your life that you would say is your adversary or your foe? I want you to kind of picture them in your mind. I, I, I have mine in my mind. Picture them in your mind. Now, here's, here's the question that we need to kind of that we need to just put before God today. And it's this, what is God asking me to do with this person? How is he asking me to relate to this person on a daily basis? That's really the question that we wanna try to answer today. You know, for the past few weeks, we've been in this series called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And you know, in this series, we are looking at the most challenging things Jesus ever said, and man, We've just picked a small section of them. Uh, he said some very challenging things. And so this morning, I just want to take a few moments and f- just for us to kind of look at what he says about us loving our enemies and, uh, and see how it applies to your life. Now, we're going to be reading from the, from the Sermon on the Mount today. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 43 through 48. And, and I want to give you a little context for, for what we're going to for what we're going to read today, because it'll, it'll really just kind of start to come home for you. Six times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Six different times he says that in the Sermon on the Mount. So for example, he'll say, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, don't even look at a woman lustfully. You, you've heard it said, do not swear falsely. But I say to you, don't even, don't even make an oath. Don't even, don't even go down that road. So six different times he says that. And the passage that we're going to look at today is the sixth time where he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. What Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he is actually correcting the teaching of the rabbis, the scribes and the Pharisees. He's actually correcting their teaching and he is, he is expanding, taking the law of God and expanding it and applying it to our hearts. And uh, what he does is basically correct their teaching, especially in this whole area of what it means to love others. And uh, that's what we're going to, that's what we're going to see today. So I'm going to ask if you're willing and able, let's, let's stand together as we read the word of God this morning. So Jesus says this, he says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing? What, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father 
is perfect. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. The word of God lasts forever. You may be seated. Now, this is pretty radical teaching, what he's laying out in front of us today. Now, why in the world is this so radical? Well, I think the answer is because it's 100% contrary to our human nature. The reason why Jesus' teaching on loving our enemies is so, so incredible is because it's, it's contrary to our, our fallen nature. We come into this world, we are born sinners separated from God. That is our condition. We are fallen, we have this sinful nature that rules and dominates our life. And loving our enemy is contrary to that nature that we, that we, have, that we bring into the world. Now, how do I know this? Uh, well, I, I know this, and I think you know this from experience, right? I mean, what happens, what do you do when somebody hurts you, when somebody offends you, when somebody betrays you? Is your first instinctual, natural response to love them and pray for them? Absolutely not. And I think that's kind of how we know it is so against our, you know, our grain, against our nature. And I think, I think the reality is this, that it's really impossible to do in our own power and strength to love our enemies. I mean, outside the grace of God, this is just not something we're going to do. It is so contrary. Now, there are a lot of things that we can do in our own strength. I mean, you don't have to be a believer to be generous. A lot of non-believers are generous. You, you don't have to be a believer to train yourself not to be anxious. A number of people can do that. Uh, you don't have to be a believer to pray. There are a lot of non-believers that, that pray to God every day. So there are just a lot of things that you can do in your own power and your own strength. But let me just tell you, loving your enemy is, is just probably not one of those. All right, The vast majority of people, just the overwhelming majority of people, simply do not do this apart from the life-changing grace of God in your life. I remember, you know, back in 2001, I remember 9-11. I remember where I was. I, I remember that morning. And uh, I remember watching this thing on TV as these planes were flying into the World Trade Center. And I remember my first thought is we need to nuke these people. That's, that, was my, that was my first thought. I was like, we just need to go to war. We need to go get these folks. And, and uh and, and really do away with them. And so, so my first gut was not to pray for them. My first gut reaction was not, was not to love them. I, I wanted to absolutely, absolutely destroy them. And I think that's, that's just kind of our natural response, right? And, and that is to, to respond eye for eye and, and, and kind of tooth for tooth in, in that way, to get revenge. Now, here's, here's what I want us to want us to see and this is kind of a little caveat I, I don't think Jesus is saying in this passage that we never defend ourselves he's not saying that you know the greatest theologian in the history of the church was Augustine and he came up with what is called just war theory and there's certain conditions where war is justified and uh, so Jesus is not talking about war he's not talking about battle what he is talking about is how we are to relate in life to an adversary that we have a relational foe and enemy. So what I want to do this morning is I want to I want to just kind of share with you just three parts of this teaching today. And I, I think what I see in this passage is God's heart for us to love our enemies. I mean, just very plain. That that's what His heart for us is to love our enemies. And then He tells us how to do this 
And, uh, and then I want to I close by talking about why we should love our enemies. So let's, so let's look at the, fir- the first one, God's heart for us to love our enemies. And we see this in verse 43. He says this, you've, you've heard it said that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So, so what he's doing is he's really quoting the teaching of the rabbis, the teaching, the, the, you know, the, the basic teaching of, of the Pharisees and the scribes. And what he's doing is he's contrasting the false righteousness of the Pharisees and the true righteousness of God. He's establishing this contrast. And uh, he's saying this, I, I know you, you guys have heard this taught for years this way, but that's not right. It's not the will of God the way that you've heard it taught. And so there was not a teaching of the Pharisees that strayed more from the heart of God than their teaching on loving other people. And that's exactly what Jesus is going after. He understands that all the people have heard for years was, it was basically half a quotation and, and then half a fabrication. And I'll explain kind of what I mean by that. There were two ways that their teaching on this, on this topic really missed the heart of God. The first way is in what their teaching omitted. They left out something huge in their teaching. And uh, you, you see this, let me just show you the law of God here. This is Leviticus 19, 18. So the Old Testament gave the people instruction and teaching on how they are to relate uh, to to each other, and this is a great example, but I want to show you what they admitted. He said, you, sh- you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So when the Pharisees taught this, they, they, they really left out, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and they interpreted the word neighbor as you, your fellow Israelites, those are the people that you love. You just love your fellow Israelites. And, uh, and so they just kind of left out everybody else. And uh, so that's, that is absolutely what they were admitting. But then they added something. So as they're teaching this, they added something that was contrary to the law of God. And they absolutely knew it. And they, and, and, you know, they, they taught it anyway. Look, look, at, look, look, look at what it says. Verse 43. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It never says that. They added, hate your enemy. They made the case that your neighbor is only your fellow Israelite, but everybody else you were allowed to hate. So you could love your neighbor, not too much, and then you were allowed, it was okay in the eyes of God, for you to, to hate everybody else, to, for you to you know, to, to hate your enemy. And so they, they used some verses in the Old Testament that talked about foreigners in the land and they just pulled those out of context. And so the Pharisees, you know, the Pharisees just justified to the people living out of their flesh, living out of the sinful nature. Now church, here's, here's what I want to say to you. And this is what you need to hear all throughout the Old Testament. God gave us great clarity on this. God gave his people great clarity on this. Let me just show you some verses here. This is Deuteronomy 22, 1 and 2. And uh, you you really get the flavor for for God's heart for us to love everybody. He says this, "You 
you shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't live near you and you do not know who he is, you shall bring it home to your house and it shall stay with you until the brother seeks it. And then you shall restore it to him, right? So this is just, this is just common decency. This is just loving people, right? Just looking out for one another. And so he's like, if your brother loses his ox, you need to give it back to him. But notice Exodus 23, verse 4. So that was for your fellow Israelite. But notice what you're supposed to do for your enemy. Same thing. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. You see that? You see the same? You're, you're loving everybody. That's, that's God's heart for, for the people. And notice verse 5 in Exodus 23. If you see the donkey of the one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. So do you see the heart of God coming through? And uh, so clear, this, this pattern in Scripture of, of God's people loving each other and loving people, uh, anybody that comes into our, our radius of influence. Look at Proverbs 25, 21, and 22. This is, this is a great one. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now, church, I could give you more examples, examples after examples uh, of this. The point is this. I share this with you to say this. The Pharisees knew this, but they didn't teach it. You know why? Because it's so much easier not to love your enemies. That's just going with the current, you know, going with the flow, going with your sinful nature. And so, and, and so what Jesus is saying is, you've heard it said, you've heard it taught, but I say to you, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who, you know, persecute you. Now, I want you to go back. I want you to think about who that person is for you. I don't know who it is, but I want you to imagine that person in your mind. Very specifically, what does loving that person look like for you? If it's the heart of God for us to love our enemies, how do you need to express your love for God and, and to your enemies? Now, couple of notes on this it's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't say you have to like your enemies he just says love your enemies I mean Jesus understands you know liking someone requires an emotional response right like you, you can't manufacture feelings of like for someone uh that's that's wronged you or hurt you or betrayed you Jesus understands that so what he focuses on is for us not liking them but loving them. His focus is love is a choice. And we choose someone else's highest good for, for God's glory and for their, for their benefit. So we can decide to treat them as we would want to be treated. The other thing that I think it's important for us to understand is he's not saying that we need to approve of what our enemy has done to us or done to others. He's not saying that. that doesn't, that's not loving your enemy. It's approving of, you know, some of the stuff that they have pulled or done. And, and he's not saying that they shouldn't face justice or consequences 
for sinful actions or evil actions that they've taken. What he is saying is our response is to love them uh, because that is really the heart of God. So, so that's what he wants for us. He wants his heart replicated in us. All right, now, how do we do this? Because I realize uh, from my own experience, this is easier said than done. How do we love our enemies? Well, let me, let me show this to you in verse 44. I think this is absolutely brilliant. Jesus says this, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, this is brilliant because Jesus understands how hard it is for us to love someone who's hurt us. He understands your feelings and mine. You know, our feelings of hurt, our feelings of being wounded, our, our feelings of being betrayed, whatever it is. He understands that. And it's fascinating to me that Jesus leads us to love our enemies. And the first way he tells us to love our enemies is through praying for them. Now, why does he do that? Why does he tell us to be praying for our enemies? I think, I think it's a great question. Here, here's, here's the answer. I, I don't think God is telling us to pray for our enemies so that God would change their heart towards us. That's not why he's telling us to pray for them. I think he's telling us to pray for our enemies so that he can change our heart towards them. Church, when we pray, we change. Prayer is the central avenue that God uses to change us. And so, and so when, we, when we go to God in prayer and we put ourselves in a position to receive grace and mercy and strength, what happens is as we are in the presence of God, we grow and change. We become more and more like the one we're spending time with. And God begins to work in us and he begins to soften us and he begins to change us and the spirit begins to mold us and the spirit begins to, to really just shape us. And, and, and what you will find is it is impossible to, to feel anger towards someone that's you know, wronged you if you've been praying for them over a period of time. And so your life becomes a miracle. Your heart begins to change you begin to grow. And so Jesus is telling us this because he, he wants to do a work in our heart. You know, there's a, there's a great movie uh, called Ruby Bridges. And uh, it's, the, it's the true story of a, of a six-year-old girl um, in 19, uh, 1960 that um, really became the first person of color in the United States to attend an, an all-white school. And... Uh, and so this was in segregationalist uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. And there's a, there's a scene in the movie where she's, she's walking into the school. She's walking up these steps. And there's this huge angry crowd out in front of the school. And they're, they're yelling and chanting at her. And as she's walking, she's walking in, there are these federal agents around her. And she's walking up the steps. And they're, you know, I mean, this is just a really difficult situation. They're just yelling at her and and uh, just chanting all of this stuff. So she's walking up the steps and she stops and turns around and she starts walking down the steps towards the crowd. 
and she begins to say something. And so you, you can't hear what she's saying because the crowd is just way too loud. So the agents go down the steps and try to turn her around to get her back up the steps, but she resists them. And she just, she just stays right there and, and you just see her lips moving. And, um, and, and finally she relents and she starts walking back up the steps and she goes inside the school. Well, in the next scene, Ruby is with a friend and she's, she's sitting there at the kitchen table and her friend asks her, you know, Ruby, were you, were you just angry? You know, when you stopped and turned around and, and spoke to the crowd, were you just, you know, expressing your anger and frustration with the crowd that they were chanting all of this stuff to you? And, and she said, she said to her friend, she said, I, I didn't say anything. And the friend said, you did say something. I saw your lips moving. And she said, I, I didn't say anything at all. She said, she said, I was praying for them. I was praying for them. And her friend was just dumbfounded. And uh, the friend said, well, what did, what did you pray? And she said, well, I just prayed that God would forgive them because they know not what they do. And she said, I figured if that's what Jesus prayed on the cross, then that's what I could pray for them as well. See, there's, there's something about prayer that changes us. It just opens us up to God's grace and power, it opens us up to the Spirit of God to come into our heart and to change us from the inside out. And that's, that's the work that God wants to do in your heart and in mine. And it starts with, God, I'm not there yet. Would you help me? I, I, I'm, a, I'm a million miles away from that, God. I confess that because the hurt is so real. The hurt is so bad. But would you... Would you start the process? And he will do it. Now let me, let me show you Luke 6, 27 because this is Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount. And so he provides, he kind of fills in some of the blanks for us, uh, Luke does. And I want you to notice Jesus on this, again, on this teaching. He says, but I say to you uh, who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and then pray for those who abuse you. So, so Luke kind of fills in some of the gap where, the, where Matthew kind of leaves it out. And so, and so what Jesus is saying here is this. He says, I want you to put your love into action. I, I, want, I, want, I want your love to be mobile. I want it to move. I want it to be active. And, and so practically speaking, loving our enemies means doing good to them. So Jesus, Jesus is expanding on this, and, th and this, is, this is just so huge because I think, I think sometimes we can be content with just kind of praying for our enemies, you know, once or twice, and we just get that thing over with and kind of move on, you know, and then we feel good about, we feel good about things because we've checked that box, you know, we prayed for them, we've checked off that box, uh, but, then, but then the reality is our enemy still hates us, you know what I mean? They still, they still hate our guts. And so, and so what Jesus is saying here is you don't just stop with prayer. You go one or two more steps further. And this is, this is challenging because what he says to them is do good to them. What he says to them, notice this, bless those who curse you. Bless them. Now, is that not contrary to our nature? Isn't that absolutely opposite 
of, you know, our fallen sinful nature to, you know, to, to, to bless our enemies. You know, that word bless, it, it literally means to speak good towards someone. That's what, that's what bless means, to speak good to them. Uh, not, not, not as much about them, but to speak goodness to the person who is cursing you. To respond, not evil for evil, but evil with good. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And um, what is fascinating about this is our prayer for our enemies doesn't change our enemies, it changes us. But our kindness towards our enemies changes them. That's what I think Jesus is working here. He's working both sides of the street. He's working heart transformation in you and in your enemy. And so when we pray for our enemies, it, it's, 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 the, it's the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. But when we respond with kindness to our enemies, it opens the door for the Holy Spirit to work in their hearts. That's why you see in Romans 2, there's a, there's a, a verse in Romans 2 where the Apostle Paul explains that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Like in Romans 1, he's talking about how the wrath of God has been revealed to a sinful world that's rejected God. But then in Romans 2, he talks about, you know, God's kindness and God's love. And it's actually God's kindness that leads us to repentance, not the threat of God's wrath. It's kindness. So when we see what God has done for us, when we see how God loves us, when we see how he sacrificed for us, what it does is it softens us. That his kindness in, in front of us is what changes us. And I think that's at the heart of what God is, what Jesus is really saying here. Let me, let me show this to you in Proverbs 15.1. This is a great passage uh, to memorize, but he, the writer of Proverbs says this, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so someone insults you, someone is critical of you, someone curses you, you speak kindness back to them. And what it does is it, it just turns away wrath. And, uh, and that's, that's responding in kindness. I remember uh, reading about um, the former third baseman of the Boston Red Sox, Wade Boggs. He was a Hall of Fame uh, third baseman uh, for the Red Sox. And you know that Red Sox and the Yankees were uh, arch enemies, just bitter rivals. And... Uh, and so Wade Box played for the Red Sox for many, many years, did a lot of series in Yankee Stadium. And he said that the Yankee Stadium was his least favorite place to play in all of Major League Baseball. He hated playing in Yankee Stadium. And uh, the reason why is because there was a particular fan that had season box tickets in Yankee Stadium, sat right on the field. And this guy would work Wade Boggs from first inning to the ninth inning. I mean, insulting him, cursing him, talking down at him, telling him he stinks and using other choice expressions and that kind of thing. And he just heard it over and over. I mean, it was every series. It was every single game. It, it was nonstop. And finally, Wade Boggs wised up. And he made the decision he was going to deal with it this time. So... 
he went out before the game and he started warming up and this guy started in at him. And you know what Wade Boggs did? He walked over to the fan and he said, are you the one that's always, that's always you know, giving me a hard time basically? And the guy said, yeah, what are you gonna do about it? And Wade Boggs took out a pen and a brand new baseball and he autographed it and he tossed it to him. And the guy caught it and he smiled. And Wade Boggs said, that guy never said another negative thing toward me the rest of my career. In fact, he said, that guy became my biggest fan in Yankee Stadium. And uh, he absolutely loved it. Now, that's just, that's just a very simple principle, isn't it? That when we give a soft answer, it turns away wrath. And there's something about it that when we love our enemies in this way, when we when we respond in prayer, when we respond in kindness, God is able to start working in that relationship. I mean, imagine if you applied this to your marriage. Because it could be that you're listening today and your marriage is strained. Well, what if you started really praying so that God will change your heart? And what if you started really responding in kindness so that God could work in their heart, your spouse? What if, what if you've got a boss that you just dread seeing, you know, tomorrow at 8 o'clock? What if it's the same kind of situation? You know, what if, what if it's a, somebody at school that just does the same thing to you that that fan did to Wade Box? What, you know, I think, I think God would show up. I think he would do an amazing work. I really do. And, um, and, and so that's what Jesus is really trying to get us to see here in this teaching. Now, let me, let me close with this. Why, why, should we love, why should we love our enemies? Well, um, I, I don't think he's telling us to love our enemies so that we can just be nice people. I, I don't think that that's what Jesus is really after. Um, he's not against niceness, but I, I think it's, it's a little bit deeper than that. I think there are two reasons uh, why we should love our enemy. And the first one is right in verse 43 um, and 44. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies Uh, Pray for those who persecute you. And then he says this, notice what he says. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Love your enemies. So that you'd be sons and daughters of your father in heaven. Now, he's not saying, church, he's not saying that loving your enemy is gonna save your soul. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is this, he's saying, that love for your enemies is probably the greatest evidence that your soul is saved. It's the greatest evidence that grace and the power of the Spirit is working in your heart, in your life, when you love your enemies. And so I think that's, that's what he's really, really trying to do. He's really trying to say, lost people don't love their enemies. Saved people do. And this is an evidence of it. And uh, in fact, notice what Jesus says in John 13, 35. He says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, why? Why will they know that we are Jesus' disciples by our love? Why is that? Because no one loves their enemies except through the help of Jesus. Who loved their enemies perfectly? Jesus did. Who offers his power and his strength and his grace so that we can love our enemies? Jesus. So when we love someone who's betrayed us, 
when we love someone who's hurt us, when we love someone who has wounded us, and the world, a watching world, sees our reaction to that, they say, what is it that you have? Because I want that. I want what you have. And, you know, a lot of people would probably even recognize that where that comes from. They will recognize that you are a disciple of Jesus. But there's another reason why we should love our enemies, and it's, and it's this one. And you probably already know where I'm going, and, it, and it's really this. There's no, there's no greater tangible expression of the gospel, probably outside of marriage. There's no greater tangible expression of the gospel than when you and I love our enemies. Because think about it. Didn't God love us when we were his enemies? Didn't God give up what was most precious to him when we were living in direct rebellion against God? Church, our sin was not neutral towards God. It was a declaration of war against God. It was the ultimate stiff arm where we said to God, I don't want you in my life. I want to do this my way. I'm going to live my, my own path. I'm going to walk my own path. I'm going to live my own way. Well, that's not neutral. At that moment, church, we were enemies of God. We were declared uh, enemies of God. We had aligned ourselves with the prince of this world, Satan, and we were basically saying, God, you can just go jump in the lake. And so what did God do in response to that? He showed kindness, didn't he? And he, he gave what was most precious to him so that our hearts could be changed. You see this in Romans 5, 8. God, loved, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it's just amazing to think about like when we love our enemies as a Christian community, when we are out in the world, we're out in the marketplace every day, we're interacting with non-Christians and we love people who curse us and ridicule us and wound us and hurt us, you know, in, in, in these ways, we actually proclaim the gospel through our actions, through our love. And that's exactly, that is exactly what Jesus did for us. So, so here it is. I want you to think of that person, your adversary, your foe, your enemy, whoever it is. What is God asking you to do today? It may be that you need to start praying because you know that your heart's not there yet. It could be that you've been praying, but now you need to put legs to your prayers. You need to find a way to bless them or serve them or love them in some active way to do, to do, do good to them. Can I challenge you to do that today? Can I tell you today that the grace of God is available and enables us to live out what he calls us to do. We can't do this in our own strength. We can't do this in our own power. This is where we say, God, I need your help to do this. Let my life be a miracle. And start it in me. Start it now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we continue to be amazed at the beauty of the gospel. We, we continue to be moved by your mercy and grace. Lord, we confess that we struggle in this area. But thank you that 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, we've, we've been enabled, we've been set free, we've been given new life, we've been, we've been equipped in every way to live, to live for you and to love our enemies. So I just pray, God, you know, Lord, you know the relationships, you know all the particulars, you know all the names, you, you know all the images, the faces of people that are our enemies. And so God, I just ask that you would soften us and that you would love through us and that you would get the glory and that we would grow and change as a result. And so we thank you and praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said.